electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The man who called this market move is back with a new target for stocks. Will Tom Lee be on the money again? We will speak to him in just a moment and debate his big call with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Pete Najarian, and Rob Seachin with UBS Private Wealth Management, one of Forbes' top 100 financial advisors. Let's do begin with stocks which have been working their way back on pace now for their sixth positive week in the past seven. Dow and S&P are now positive and now one of the street's most bullish strategists making a new call. Fun Strats, Tom Lee, back with us live. Tom, welcome back. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for having me. The headline today is you go from 3450 to 3525. And once again, it's on the back of what you have coined the epicenter stocks. Why today to raise your target? Well, I, I think it's uh, we're nearing a really important level, you know, an all-time high. And I've been surprised at how many people want to fade this. You know, so many of our clients think that this is like the, the level to get out of the markets. But, you know, a lot of guys like Tom Mark are really saying, look, when you make a new high like this, this is actually a sign of a renewed bull market. I think we should be pretty constructive on an all-time breakout. And I think the upside, which is why we're raising our target, is going to come from the epicenter. If these go back to their February highs, that adds 150 points to the market. You add that to where we are today, and that gets to 35, uh, our new target at 35.25. Yeah. You said today was going to be the day, in fact, for this, what you coined, monstrous rally in those epicenter stocks. Value's done decent this week. But there's no real indication yet, Tom, that that growth is is ready to give up its leadership role. Is there? No. Um, you know, the growth is still 74 percent of the market. So, you know, you, you know, people want to stick with those I mean, made careers. People have really been successful sticking with the growth stock. So I think it's going to be tough to give up that. Go. Plus, they're still cheap against bond proxies. Right. The investment grade bonds are trading 50 times their coupon, though, so, you know, paying 25 times for FANG is cheap. But the epicenter, these companies have massively rationalized costs. You know, we, summer intern C.J. Woodbury, go through a lot of earnings transcripts. And they're making, a lot of these companies are money at 30% of their sales of 2019. That's casinos and cruise lines. And so if we get a recovery vaccine drop in cases, there's a lot of operating leverage in the epicenter stocks. That's why we're bullish on those. Nobody is going to disagree with you at all. I don't think that once we get a vaccine. And that's the key. Those are the key words you just said. Once we get a vaccine, of course, these kinds of stocks are likely going to take off. But is it a little too early to make the move into them right yet? Certainly, some of these have had a, a good week. Uh, you know, I've got Wynn Resorts and Royal Caribbean. They're up double-digit percentage points this week. Some of the other travel-related stocks are up single digits. Why isn't it too early? Yeah, I mean, it's going to feel early because, you know, it's uncomfortable to be sort of straying from the middle of the fairway, 
buy these epicenter stocks. I understand. And, you know, I'm really nervous about recommending these things because, you know, this disease is so uncertain. But at the same time, I know they're under-owned. And I, I can also tell from our client conversations, there's just a lot of skepticism about this recovery, about the market move, you know, but there's still five trillion of cash on the sidelines. And I can tell you, normal people want to be excited, equally bearish. And I think that negative sentiment, of course, is spilling into the epicenter. If we can break to new highs and we start to show some vigor, I think people are going to be quite constructive and they're going to come into those names. But you're right. It's, you know, it's not comfortable. But it's so funny. We're talking about all of this negative sentiment that you say is allegedly out there when yesterday, even if it was momentarily, we did get above a new closing high for the S&P 500. So there's not much negative sentiment within the stock market. In fact, you could make an argument, Tom, that so much is already baked in. So much good news is already priced in. And that leaves you void of a catalyst to take you where you think that we could go between now and the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I think part of the reason we're near these new highs is it's rethinking risk premium on FANG, which is appropriate. You know, FANGs are still cheap, but there, there was definitely a certain amount, a lot of skepticism. I got an email today, a really angry one this week, where Someone questioned, said in 33 years of their career, they've never seen such a lapse of judgment in some of our commentary. These are people I've known for 10, 15 years, really skeptical of the S&P. So when you have skepticism, got nearly five trying to cash, and even AI reading showing retail sentiments quite bearish, I think that this move to all-time highs is going to create a scramble, and I think that's why we get a vigorous move. Yeah, don't, don't take that Twitter stuff too personally, Tom, right? It's, it's, just, it's just Twitter. It is what <laughs> it is, right? Easy, easier said than done, <laughs> straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, but, but, but seriously, um, you need an awful lot to go right to, to, for the stock market to keep climbing. And again, you have to take into consideration what could be a real messy um, election. Not to, I mean, forget about the fact that you could have a change in, in leadership in terms of the presidency, but you could have an entirely messy situation on Election Day where we may not know the winner for a, a, a multitude of days. And the stock market is not going to love that. No, uh, stock markets don't like tight races. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, this mail in versus in person voting and, you know, not knowing election results. These are going to be some real concerns. And I, I can understand why people are nervous. But as you know, it, it, for those who are patient, it won't change where we are in 2021. And I think that's the boogie we want people to focus on. And eventually we get through it. I but you're bring, right. Those are, are real headwinds. I hear you. I want to bring the committee in, in, in just a second. But again, today was the day that you said there was going to be this monstrous rally beginning in these epicenter stocks. Just explain to people who missed your call last week with us or earlier uh, this week, why, in fact, you thought today was the day, and if we don't get it, does it mean anything? I mean, you're very cute in the timing of things. Is, does it have to be so specific? Uh, well, it, it needs to be in this vicinity. And the reason we made that call last week was we looked at what happened in April, May, when cases began to roll over substantially. And it took 20 days from that peak in cases before investors were convinced the trend changed and they began to buy the epicenter stocks, which rallied 30% of that time. Looking at this situation and thinking epicenter rally should take 20 days. People are going to be skeptical. They don't want to be fooled twice. But this is going to be meaningful because, number one, we know the economy's bottomed now. 
There aren't a lot of new states to sort of see a, a new super spreader event. And New York Tri-State has really kept it under control. So I think if we can break cases, people are going to think it's pretty decisive. So, you know, I, I think this is a really difficult time. So, you know, I use 20 days and, you know, we could be wrong. But I think when the epicenter turns, it's going to be last more than 10 days. People think this will be a flash in the pan rally. I think this is a real deal because we got costs cut. We got the economy, we got New York Tri-State showing they know how to keep the virus at bay and, and all good things. And of course, we're much closer to a vaccine. Yeah, we'll see what happens when schools open, too. Uh, that's another wild card we all have to consider yeah. and the psyche around that if you have to dial some of the things back. Tom, let's bring in the committee. Let's debate this call with you. Rob Seachin, you got the first crack at, at Tom Lee. Is he going to be right? Well, he's been right. Uh, Tom and I have uh, drinks every Friday. I'm hoping to see him this week again. He's one of the people that have uh, kept me invested in this market. And I have to tell you, I really agree with Tom. You know, our client base is the professional investor community. And the amount of skepticism that they have in this current rally is, is pretty healthy. I, I don't know when the pivot is going to happen from... The, the technology names to the cyclical names. I think you could see some economic volatility in the fall. I think you could see some more vi virus volatility in the fall. And I don't think growth gives up its leadership until then. But I do think you have to sow some of the seeds for this economic recovery once we get beyond the election, once we get beyond the, the virus, given everything that's happening along those lines, and have some optionality in client portfolios towards that. Also, let's remember that the dispersion between growth and value, Scott's been enormous. Uh, um, and I don't think it can persist in perpetuity. Part of, of what has kept investors in growth stocks has been that they are the new defensives given COVID. Can they maintain that status or did they pull forward demand in such a way that earnings might not be as good prospectively as people suspect? And that would allow some of these cyclicals to ultimately play catch up. Well, there obviously I, is a, there is a view that, you know, that, that some of these earnings have, have troughed. Um, Tom Lee is not the only one who suggests that, that you know, value is going to have its day. Steph, Bank of America, you know, is out today. Stephanie Link's on the phone with us today. Uh, Savita over at, at Bank of America says value's at an inflection point. And it, it basically is for those reasons that you've troughed, that you're going to enter recovery mode. A lot of what Tom Lee's talking about, and I think I can add you to the list of believers. I, I am, and I have been um, doing the barbell, but I have been leaning more towards the uh, reopen stocks, the value stocks, the cyclical stocks. I think, Scott, you have to just ask your, a, a very simple question. Do you think the stimulus, both fiscal and monetary, do you think it's enough, and will it lead to improvement in the economic data? And I think we ha have been seeing better economic data. I know I rattle off all kinds of data to you every single time I'm on the show, but it's important. Retail sales, the control group number today, suggests you're going to see a 15 to 20 percent GDP in the third quarter. Mortgage applications up 37 percent year over year. Industrial production, this is an interesting stat, I thought. The auto, auto and auto parts output in the industrial production rose 28 percent. So I have been saying we have been seeing pockets of growth in the economy, housing and auto, and retail sales. I know we need more stimulus, and we're going to get it. I think we will. When you have a million initial claims each week, you're going to get more stimulus. We don't know when, probably mid to late September, but it's going to happen. 
And I think Tom said something very important. He said companies have done a really good job cutting costs. And margins as a result have held up remarkably well, and, and especially for kind of the reopen names. They've had to. They have no other choice. They had to cut costs. And so as a result, if you do get better demand into next year, the operating leverage will be, will be sizable. And so that's why you do want to have exposure to this particular part of the market. You don't want to have all. I don't know if I agree with Tom that 25 times per fang is cheap. But I like these total addressable markets for the FANG, and so you have to own some of them as well. It's a barbell. But what if, what if I said to you, Steph, yeah, I mean, that, that all sounds good, but the only reason you're going to get a huge jump in third quarter GDP is because you had a huge decline prior to that. So, of course, you're going to snap, get a snapback, and then the real game is on. It's like the jobs numbers were massive, but the, job, the rate of job growth is starting to slow. So now, now it's like put up or shut up, not, not to you, obviously. You know what I'm, you, you know what I'm saying. No. I do, I do. And look, I, I don't expect 20% to be sustainable for GDP. Absolutely not. But I do think what it points to is that the stimulus is actually working, right? It's doing what uh, the Fed and, and the government and Congress wanted it to do. And we're going to get more. And interest rates are going to stay lower for longer. That's very favorable. And eventually we will see an improvement in the jobs market. We already have seen a massive recovery. I do think in a, in a year's time, you'll get back to where we were, and that will propel the consumer further, and that 70% of the U.S. GDP. You need the consumer. Tom, I'll let you respond to Steph. Yeah, I mean, I hear, and I, I think that's a great point. You know, the, the, econ, the economy is recovering, and I think she's right. You know, the fiscal and the Fed are, are so central. I mean, this is one reason the market's kind of stalling here. Washington, you know, isn't moving forward with fiscal and quickly enough. But I think the Fed is also... Look, if you don't believe the economy is recovering, at the end of the day, the Fed is something you don't want to fight. Yeah, well, people try and keep learning that the hard way, Tom, right? We wonder why we're up, yeah. where we are relative to what is a very uncertain world, and it all comes back, at least in some respects, or most respects, perhaps, to don't fight the Fed. Tom, it's good to see you. I appreciate you coming back on. Yeah, I love the debate, and we'll talk to you again soon. That's Tom Lee of Fundstrap. Pete Nigerian. You're making some very interesting moves today, and, and maybe it's reflective of your overall view of, of the market in the context of the conversation that we just had. You, you, right. bought, you bought Intel okay. and Twitter? Yes, I did. Yep. Stock, not just options. I'm talking stock. So, yes, I, you know, I just, stock, uh, Scott, I think there are times where you actually have to just sort of step back and say, okay, is that enough? And I'm looking at Intel, and I was in Intel for a long period of time. I got out of Intel. I was waiting. And here we are with a stock that was trading towards 60 that now is trading well below 50. So because of that, you know, you start looking at it and say, well, they did make all those mistakes. Now that seems to be priced into me. Um, am I disappointed in how the CEO reacted and, and their reaction in terms of what they needed to get done and didn't get it done? Absolutely. But I think they've felt the pain. And, you know, it's, it's one of those expressions that we hear all the time when there's blood in the streets. Well, there's blood in the streets in terms of Intel. So I do think there's an opportunity there. And I also think that the chairman of the board there is an outstanding gentleman. He was at Medtronic for a long period of time. He just got there in late January. And I think he's going to be able to do a lot of great things because, in my opinion, this man's a winner. Do so what, because though? of that, what's the chairman of the board going to do? What's he going to do? Well, 
oh, I think he's going to be able to influence a lot about what they've done and what they've done wrong, and specifically what they've done wrong, which is given up what they needed to get done and execution. They did not execute properly, and because they didn't execute properly, that's why Intel got punished as much as they did. That's why AMD spiked immediately after that, Taiwan Semiconductor as well, because they fell behind. Now they've got to play some catch-up. So I think if you're the chairman of the board, you put pressure on and you say, hey, look, this is how things need to operate from here on out. you got to remember he just got there so i think that there's opportunities in the future here and i look at intel and we all he's know not it. the I mean, ceo well, you, and, and he's not the ceo i mean are you are you suggesting that they're going to replace the ceo i am not suggesting they're going to replace the ceo i'm suggesting that he's going to put pressure to say hey look you cannot do this you cannot make those kind of mistakes that was a giant mistake look at the stock look at the reaction from the stock why did it do what it did because they completely missed and when you completely whiff that's a problem. But that doesn't mean you're a loser, and it doesn't mean you're going to continue to do so. So I do think that he's going to, obviously, there's going to be opportunities going forward. But I think there's pressure there, and there should be pressure there. If you were making a huge mistake at the job, Scott, you'd get a call, but you probably wouldn't get yanked. And you're going to get more opportunities. Well, that's what I'm talking about here. I think he'll get more opportunities, and now he's got to prove that he can execute as the CEO of Intel to make them a much better company that does not fall behind the competition. I'll get to your other one in a minute of, of Twitter, but I want to ask yeah. Jim Labenthal. Um, you haven't sold you haven't sold Intel, have you? Not yet. Not yet, Scotty. So, so you want me to here, here look here. Here's the thing. Intel has this pattern of actually exceeding estimates when it reports earnings and then absolutely disappointing on any forward guidance. I mean, it does it time and time again. And it's the weirdest pattern because what they're doing is never getting any credit. It's their own fault, as Pete said. They're never getting any credit for the execution that they do. They keep hamstringing themselves with the way they look forward. Now, I did sell Cisco no, today. it's not just the I'm way they look forward. That they, because, had the, you know, they had the issue with the chips. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not sugarcoat no, no, it. No, 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 listen. Well, Scotty, let me make this simple. This is a 10% rise from here to the end of the year. And I'll evaluate it at 54 and decide what to do then. But I, you know, last month I told you I'm no longer defending this. I could, you know, I could say that at the architecture symposium yesterday, they made a convincing case that 10 nanometer architecture does just fine for them. But the point here, and this is corollary to what Pete is saying, is it's way oversold at this price. It just is. So I'm going to let this come back up 10%. And I'll discuss it then, whether it deserves to be defended or just taken out to pasture and shot. Steph, do you want to talk some sense into these gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can defend Intel. And, um, and I also totally agree with Jim Sell on Cisco. But on Intel, to me, I mean, they just gave AMD a three-year lead, period. End of story. They're only going to get the seven nanometer out, and AMD is going to have a five nanometer out. So they have a huge advantage and a huge time lead. And so, yes, I know Intel's cheap, and I know there's a yield, and I know the balance sheet is fine and all that. I think that the CEO is under enormous pressure, and I don't know if he's going to survive this. This is a really big mistake. It's a really big flaw, and I think that there are better places to put your money. Pete? Well, I, I think she's right. I mean, I, I, there is pressure on him, and he has to produce, and if he doesn't produce, then then maybe there's discussions that go a lot further to the point that you brought up, Scott. But I think for now, I think that they just have to give him the opportunity now to bounce back. And if he does, great. If not, 
then there might have to be some changes done because that was, as Steph just pointed out, a three-year failure. That's a, that's a huge problem. You cannot make those kind of mistakes. You, can't, you can make it once, I guess. I mean, we're, we're talking about it right now. But can you do it again? Absolutely not. So for that reason, I don't think that they're going to stumble. I do think they're going to have tighter restrictions on what's going on, how well they're doing, what their levels are in terms of progress and everything else. And that's something that we're going to obviously all watch. But to Steph's point, fundamentally, look at this company. Look at the cash flows. Look at where it's trading from a PE standpoint. There's a lot of different arguments you could make that you could say, you know what? I could buy time and wait and see if Intel's the, the company that I think it is to go to the upside. I think the pain has already been felt because of the fact it went from 60 to 48. But because of that, I think now is the time to be an owner. All right. Well, you, but I mean, but he, I'm sorry. No, but you please go say, ahead, I, Steph. I like I, the debate. Was, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, Pete, they already did stumble once with the 10 nanometer. Remember? I mean, that one was delayed. And they're not even going to get that out until the end of this year, until the end of the fourth quarter. So he's already had one pass already, in my opinion. And then, then to admit they might outsource manufacturing, they're telling you they can't do it. And so that is the problem. And so, by the way, do you even believe them that they are going to eventually get the 7 nanometer? I don't even know. I think they've lost all kinds of credibility. Right. I, think that, I think those are all fair points, but it's a good debate to have. Um, that's obviously what makes sure. a market. Let's move to Cisco, though, Jim, because you, you sold Cisco. So you saw enough to get out of yeah. Cisco. And if it said Intel, because the, the comment you gave to the producers, Cisco's not getting it done. I don't need that. You could, if it said Intel instead of Cisco, I'd yeah. say, okay, I got yeah. it, because that's what you said. I know where you're going, Scott. I know where you're going. And I do, look, it's a legitimate question. Aren't they the same thing? I'm going to say no, and here's why. is because the size of the revenue decline in Cisco is huge, and it's not anywhere near, you know, right now Intel is looking at maybe a 2% uh, revenue decline next year over, over this year, and frankly, I'm not sure that's right. I think there's upside to that. Cisco, we're looking at next quarter 10% down in revenues. In this environment, they should be killing it. This is where IT CapEx should be going through the roof, and not just on hardware, but also on the security and software. So, look, I get the question. They look a lot alike, but when you look closer, Cisco really has disappointed to a degree, in my opinion, much greater than Intel. Isn't this, Rob Seachin, why it's so hard to convince investors to get off the mega cap growth train when it comes to technology and take these bets on either Cisco or Intel or any number of other names? I'm not, I don't need to mention any of them specifically, but you know the kinds of companies I'm talking about, whereas you say, okay, I got Microsoft, I can count on Microsoft, I can count on Apple, I can count on Amazon, I can count on Facebook, and I can count on maybe a couple of other names in there, NVIDIA, AMD, whatever, uh, relative to, to these, why bother? So I agree, it's the growth and durability of their earnings that are keeping investors in the game. When you have a, a, an environment where everything is struggling, and a certain sector of the market is doing well, you're going to, as an investor, as a capital allocator, you're going to have to focus on those areas because it's a defensible strategy. Look at the beta of some of these names. I was looking at the three-month beta of Amazon. Betas, uh, uh, Amazon's a, a tech high flyer for a long time, or communication, uh, consumer discretionary high flyer for a long time. The beta is 0.7 over the last three months. Why is it 0.7? It's because it's a defensive trade. So anytime investors are scared, which I think they're rightfully cautious right now, they are gonna to gravitate towards areas that they find 
defensible, that are going to protect them if this current environment persists. I think when you start to think about when to get outside that, and you, you can look to the 10-year Treasury as your cue. Value has had rallies this year when the 10-year Treasury has gone up in yield. Which it has, this, uh, which it has this week, right? We're at 69 basis right. points on the 10-year. Right. So both times before those have been false. I, I get it. But if you can start to see a persistent economic recovery, I think that's when you're going to start to see a lot of these value names catch up. Your guess is as good as mine as to when that happens. With college football shutting down and everything that's happening, there is going to be some economic impact and economic volatility in the fall. There's no question in my mind. Mm -hmm. However, if you're a long-term investor, you got to start thinking about tomorrow, today. And when you mention Microsoft and all these names that we've been in and been doing really well in, Ultimately, I think they're setting up to be slight underperformers if you're trying to outperform the market prospectively. I just don't know when that begins. Okay. All right, Pete, you, you've been very active yeah. um, in the last couple of days. I want to go through a number of names. I'm going to read the name. You give me a sentence as to what you think and why you did what you did. Okay, you bought calls in Micron. Why? Uh, because I think there's opportunity there, as we always see in Micron, the way it goes up and down. And right now it's, it's been punished, has not been trading very well. And I think it's a great opportunity. I saw calls being bought in there. Yeah, I think there was a, I think there was a call on that earlier this week, too. Maybe a downgrade, if I remember. Yeah. Bank of America, you bought calls there. Absolutely. I just wanted to leverage even more. I already own the stock and I love having the options in there. As a matter of fact, we continue to see day after day after day, we see options being bought in there. And I'm not talking as the stock has gotten to this price. I'm talking two, three dollars ago. So I love what we're seeing there. I, I wanted to add to it. So I'm sort of doubled up right now. I own the stock and I own calls. How much of it is because of Buffett and his buying binge that he's been on? Huge. Huge. Absolutely. Everybody wanted to say, oh, Warren Buffett, he can't trade anymore. This guy from Barstools is much better than him. All that crazy stuff. I got to tell you something. Warren Buffett's still Warren Buffett. And what he did with Apple and what he's done with Bank of America is extraordinarily strong. And I think this man, the, 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 the old man in Omaha, I don't think he's lost his touch just yet, Scott. And I love, hey, Scott. I love just the tenacity of buying that he did for Bank of America. Yeah, who is that, Jim? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's hard to get a word in edgewise. No I just worries. want to make this quick. What Pete, what Pete is talking about is important, and it's, it's actually on target with what Tom Lee was saying. What changes sentiment on these value encyclicals where the sentiment is awful is private buyers coming in and doing M&A activity. So you're seeing it not just with Warren Buffett and Bank of America. He also bought that big natural gas pipeline from Dominion a month ago. You're seeing Chevron Texaco by Noble. You're seeing Marathon Petroleum spin off Speedway. There's actually a lot of this M&A activity going on, which is basically private investors coming in and saying, okay, we think it's cheap. And we're going to buy it to heck with what the public sentiment is. It's actually an important part. You need it to continue, yeah. but it's an important part of the value. Yeah, don't tell Babe Ruth he doesn't have it anymore as long as he's still swinging the bat, right? <laughs> All right, Pete, Synchrony. You're right about that. Synchrony. Yeah. You bought calls there, uh, too. Yes, because I think if we're going to start seeing the financials start to move to the upside, and we've watched the XLF get up and over that 25 level, which took forever. But if we're going to see that, I think the regionals have a great opportunity to be a participant as well. So Synchrony hit for us. I like that one. I added that one. And along with, and I'll jump up to it, regions as well. So RF. I, I like both of those because of the fact that they have different exposure than a Bank of America or a J.P. Morgan. Give me quickly on Gap and Juniper, and then I'm going to take a quick break. 
Absolutely. Gap, that one hit. And you know what? That one is literally a shot in the dark because of the fact that this is one of those that, that can violently move, but we all know that the direction seems to be going lower. However, if you look back to the, to the March lows, this is a stock that's gone nothing but higher. So because of that, I think it's ready to break out even further. We saw call buying in that one. Made a lot of sense to me, so I jumped on top of that as 15 well. 15 seconds on Juniper. Why? Juniper only because that, that space is strong, although, as Jim's talking about, Cisco obviously is a big headache. But Juniper, maybe Juniper is taking a little piece of the Cisco business. All right. That was awesome. All right. Good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about retail dominating the earnings picture next week. Home Depot, Target, Walmart all set to report. We have a number of bullish calls ahead of those earnings as well. We're going to get you ready for those coming up. And tonight at 6 p.m., Kramer is out. But... We've got you covered with summer school. We're taking your questions, exploring some high-flying stocks off the beaten path. Frank Holland, Josh Brown, they're with you live tonight at 6 o'clock Eastern. We're back after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Let's go down to Eamon Javers in Washington, D.C. with a news alert for us. Eamon? Yes, yeah, Scott, that's right. The president, <clears throat> excuse me, tweeting out some thoughts right now on the ongoing negotiations with Democrats over new stimulus legislation. <clears throat> Those talks have completely broken down. The president expressing some frustration here on Twitter. I want to read you a couple of uh, his tweets. He says, I have directed Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, to get ready to send direct payments, $3,400 for a family of four, to all Americans. Democrats are holding this up, the president says. He also says he is ready to have Treasury and SBA send additional PPP pay payments to the small businesses that have been hurt by the China virus. Again, he blames Democrats for holding it up, and he says he is ready to send more money to states and local governments to save jobs for police, firefighters, first responders, and teachers. Again, the president blaming Democrats for holding that up. A couple of points of context here, Scott, on all of this. Uh, one is the president saying <clears throat> he is ready to do that. It's not clear he has the legal authority to do any of those things with absent uh, legislation and an agreement with members of Congress up on Capitol Hill. Remember, Congress controls the power of the purse under the Constitution. So the president may be ready to do it. Whether he can actually do it or not is an entirely separate question. And then uh, the other point to make here uh, is that Democrats have said they're the ones who want to inject funding uh, into local governments, state and local uh, governments across the country, and they blame Republicans on Capitol Hill uh, for blocking that. So you've got sort of some finger pointing going on here in Washington, and also an interesting three-way dynamic now between Senate Republicans who have set, signaled that they are against increased spending, particularly for uh, states and local governments in some cases, uh, and the president who's now signaling he's ready uh, to start shoveling the money out to, the, to Americans across the country in this series of tweets this morning. And then you've got Democrats on Capitol Hill arguing that they want ultimately a $3.4 trillion bill, which is what they passed earlier this year. Republicans on the Hill have said, well, maybe we can do a trillion, but $3.4 trillion is far too much. So yeah. an interesting three-way political dance now, Scott. Maybe, maybe the, the best way to sum it up is ready, willing, and unable, uh, Eamon, because of uh, all yeah. that, uh, that you just said. We appreciate that. Eamon Jabbers down in D.C. You for bet. us. All right, Pete, let's get back to Twitter, uh, which we glossed over for a second, sure. but I didn't want to do that. Uh, tell me why you bought Twitter. You know, one of the influences, first of all, I like the company. I think that they are positioned well right now, and they've obviously been performing pretty well as well. But I think the most interesting part was the options. And 
This was going to potentially be an unusual, but we decided to shift it to here because in, on May 19th, they were buying the September 35 strike calls for about a buck 50, Scott. They bought 22,000 of those. Today, they're selling out of those for closer towards $4, and actually they're buying November 40 calls. So buying some time, they've taken off a huge winter, winter like this, and it just seemed like an opportunity. And normally you'd say, well, why aren't you doing the options, which would be the right thing to ask. But I have actually been looking at the stock for a long time. I like the premiums that I'm able to get when I'm selling premiums in here. So instead, I decided to buy the stock. I think it's going to continue to go higher. Doesn't mean there's not going to be speed bumps along the way, but I can sell calls against it on that way up, and I'll probably be holding this at least towards November. Doesn't mean for sure, but as long as things are going at least okay, and I've got the options in, on, my fa on my side in my favor, I really like holding onto this stock selling those calls that are high implied volatilities so that I can get those kinds of, it's like creating my own dividend stream while I'm waiting on and holding for Twitter to make a big move to the upside. Yeah, it's making a little bit of a move uh, as you're speaking about it. Pete, appreciate that very much. All right, a big week ahead, as I yeah. said, for earnings from retailers. Rahel Solomon is with us again today and has a list, and there's a full calendar ahead of us, Rahel. It sure is. Hi, Scott. Yes. And a few of these retail names are actually some of the epicenter stocks that Tom Lee mentioned earlier in the show. So Home Depot, Walmart, Kohl's, and Advanced Auto, they all report Tuesday. Then you have Target, Lowe's, TGX on Wednesday, and then BJ's reports Thursday. So two underperformers here, Scott, TJX and Kohl's, both negative on the year. TJX down about 5% on the year. Kohl's a whopping 53%. So D.A. Davidson out with a note today initiating coverage on a few of these names, Lowe's, Target, Walmart, and Home Depot, and a few takeaways. So they expect that post-COVID comps will return to average levels, but that those stocks with good stories, they really stand to benefit, i.e. those retailers who weather COVID, they'll emerge better. That's something that, of course, we hear Jim Cramer talk a lot about. They'll likely be leaner because of cost cuts, their e-commerce offerings stronger, and that these retailers should be also able to gain market share because of all of the unfortunate retail bankruptcies we're seeing. Uh, some of the outperformers on this list, Scott, Target, that hit a new high today, and then Home Depot and Lowe's, which seems to hit highs quite often these days within the past few days. Scott. Yeah, Rahel, thank you. Uh, Rahel Solomon there. Steph, uh, I should go to you here because when you look at this calendar, uh, you own Home Depot. Forget <laughs> about the, the analyst call. Let's stick with earnings for a moment. Depot, Target, Estee Lauder, NVIDIA, and Deere. Oh, there you are. It's good to see you. Um, you got all those. Hi. I do have all of those. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a busy week. So let's just go down a few. Home Depot, there's a whisper number for comps to be 20 to 25%. That makes me very nervous, especially since the stock is up 28% year to date and it trades at 25 times forward. So that's the one that I get a little nervous because everybody's hiding in those names, right? It's the do-it-yourself. That's the theme. Stay at home. They've benefited. Um, I like Home Depot over Lowe's, um, but I am nervous that the stock has run hard. Target, I think it's all going to be about how how badly our margins going to get hit because we know they're they are um, actually heavily investing this year um, to improve mix. So they're going to do a pretty good comp is my guess. Um, high single digit, low double digit. But how bad are gross margins and how much does it deleverage on the bottom line? So that's something that I'm going to be watching for. But I still like it very much because they are investing. And I do think it shouldn't trade at a discount to Walmart. And then finally, Estee Lauder, sort of interesting. L'Oreal and Shiseido both said that cosmetics were actually seeing a massive improvement 
movement in July um, from the 34% declines in April. So that should bode well for Este. Este's going to trade on China. We'll see how that does. And then it's going to also, they, they uh, will have to offset that on the negative side, on the travel re- on the travel side of things. So there's puts and takes to all these. I'm not changing my trades. I'm not changing my positions. But that's kind of the sense that I get. And we'll see what they, uh, what they do and maybe take action next week. Steph, what do you think Pete thinks uh, target earnings are going to be? <laughs> oh gosh, two thumbs up. I'm sure Pete, uh, you know, I mean, I know he's been on thumbs this for a very long time. Up, right, and Pete? I just <laughs> <laughs> Both them up, absolutely. <laughs> well, you had me on just last week, Scott, or, or a week or a half ago, maybe it was, where there was a, somebody out there, an analyst, who decided they were going to put either a sell rating or something on it. And I was shocked by that. And it was nice that you brought me on. And I just wanted to point out all the reasons why it didn't make sense that it was a sell and that the stock was going lower. And here we are hitting new highs. It doesn't mean it makes me any smarter than anybody else. All I look at are the numbers, and the numbers made sense to me in Target. And I think you're going to see better margins coming out because as the stores opened up, as the economy had opened up, it was no longer just a destination for people to go for groceries and toilet paper. And now they're opening up the rest of the store, which is a huge portion for them, and that's where the margin is. Yeah, 6% year-to-date for TGT. All right, let's get the headlines now with Frank Holland. Hi, Frank. Hey there, Scott. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A guilty plea is expected in the first criminal case arising from the dorm investigation into the probe of ties between Russia and the 2016 Trump campaign, as well as potential wrongdoing by the intelligence community. President Trump is likely to mention this development in his news conference set to begin in just about 30 minutes. A 22-year-old man has been charged in the shooting death of four-year-old Legend Telefero. Legend was shot and killed in his father's home in June, The White House's Operation Legend, which sent federal agents to several cities, was named in the child's memory. And check this out. Golf nightmares are really made of this. Segundo Oliva Pinto, a contender for the U.S. Amateur title. He lost the 18th hole and the match yesterday over a mistake by his caddy. Pinto had hit into a bunker when his caddy went to check the conditions. Unfortunately, brushing the sand with his hand is a rules violation that cost Pinto the hole, the match, and ultimately... A chance to win the U.S. Amateur title. I've kicked a lot of balls back onto the green. That's why I never won the U.S. Amateur title, Scott. I don't know about you. That's yeah, our huh? CNBC News update for this hour. All right, Frank, we appreciate it. Frank Collin. Coming up, Pete has unusual activity as usual. His latest trade's coming up next. Let's also show you the S&P sector map. S&P ticking higher by about three points. Got some value names leading the way today in the industrial, real estate, financials, energy, and material spaces. And you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We are back, and Pete has unusual activity for us, starting with that stock right there. Pete, you have a new one and then a couple of updates for us. Tell us. 
Yes, I do. So I got the first one I've got for you is Gilead. Now, this is an interesting one. I've owned that stock for a while, as you already know, Scott, and I've been in and out of the call options multiple times. Well, today we're seeing some pretty decent buying in there, so I had to add some calls. So here's what we've got. The August call, so only one week. The August 69 call, so just out of the money. And they were buying 6,000 of these calls. So that stood out for me. They were only going for about 75 cents. Stock about where it is right now. So I like this one. I think the risk-reward is there, and that's why I'm in it. But I've got one week for these to work. Now, secondly, I've got a couple updates for you. First, a clinker. So I had Snap just about a week or so ago. They were buying the 22 and a half calls that expire next Friday. So unless something happens really, really well, those 75 cents is now down to about 25 cents. I'm still holding on to this one, Scott, because I think the potential is there for a move. But very good chance that these could go out as a zero. But on the positive side, I've got MGM. And that was about a week ago as well. That was August 6th. We had 9,000 of the August 18 calls being bought then. They were about 75 cents. There were multiple buyers of different strikes as well. That actually added to some of the enthusiasm. Stock was trading about 1760 at the time. Stock spiked, and now those options are going out for 350. I'm out of those. That was a nice move. I love the move. I, I didn't expect it to do anything like it did, but a big, powerful move to the upside. So it's why we do these things, man. You've got leverage on either side, and it gives you an opportunity all the time. Yeah, crushing a lot of names today, Pete. Appreciate that. All right. You've got yeah. questions. Thanks. Our traders have answers. Ask Halftime is up next to reach us. Go to CNBC.com slash Halftime, or you can tweet us. And don't miss Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari. He's coming up today on the closing bell, pushing a six-week shutdown of the economy in order to contain the virus. He's been talking about that for a few weeks now. You'll hear it from him, 3 o'clock Eastern on the bell. We're back after this. Q&A time. Stephanie Link, you're up first. All right. Snap on or Stanley Black and Decker from Tina in Michigan? Well, Tina, that's a good question. Um, I own Stanley Black and Decker, so I think that one is poised to really do well next year. Um, they have a billion-dollar cost savings program that could lead to a 36% growth in earnings for next year. It's a do-it-yourself on the one hand. It's a reopen stock because they have energy and industrial exposure on the other. So I like this one. It's a little more expensive than Snap, but I think it's a risk-reward here is very attractive. All right, Farmer Jim, Jake in Cleveland, Sherwin-Williams, is it a buy? Well, I, I think so. I mean, look, if you look at how well Home Depot has been doing and what the drivers are there, which is people buying new houses, moving out of the city, that benefits Sherwin-Williams. It shows in the stock price, but I think it's got more to go to catch up with Home Depot where it should be on par with. All right. Pete, Tony in California, what do you think of AXP, American Express? Yeah, I still think of the big names, it's one of the least expensive, but maybe for the right reasons, because it's definitely lagged. But I do think it can make up some of that lag. I like American Express. I own the stock. I sell calls against it as well. And this is one of those names. They've got to catch up to Visa, MasterCard, and the rest, which they've lagged. So there's no doubt about that. But I like this name. All right. Rob Seachin, Gary in Michigan. Michigan's representing today. We like that. All right. How do you protect your portfolio from a bear market when volatility is high? Little more difficult, but sometimes you have to act like the insurance company and sell volatility by writing uh, covered calls and also buying out of the uh, selling out of the money puts to finance your hedging exposure. That is the best way to do it in a highly volatile environment. All right. All right. Appreciate that. Hey, check out this mystery chart. It's up 160 percent since the beginning of April. The question is, has the red hot trade run its course or... Is there more room to run? 
You'll find out next. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. It is time for the futures outlook and time to reveal our mystery chart as well. There it is. It's lumber hitting an all-time high today, the futures are. But watch out. Could the rally already be starting to splinter? Jim Urio and Brian Stutland are your traders today. All right, Jim, what's behind the surge? Like all commodities, the dollar pushing it higher? Okay. Well, sure, that's part of it. That's one of a, a three-pronged fundamental thing that's pushing lumber so much higher. First of all, lumber came in at extremely depressed levels uh, at, at, before March of this year. And then the whole notion that we're, people are going to be fleeing cities and there's going to be a building boom in the suburbs, and you saw it with things like Sherwin-Williams. And, and I believe it's true, but it doesn't necessarily have to be true for the market to grab onto as long as those two other factors are pushing it higher and then just turn it into what it's, you know, that 170% rally. The one thing I would remember here is that the cautionary tale that silver taught us the other day, the, the, the fundamental analysis of silver and the, and the story is not changing. It's very bullish on both lumber and silver. But once the FOMO money has got in, it is then, to me, susceptible to these uh, nasty manic pullbacks. I think it could pull back to about 580 sometime soon. Maybe there I would look to get in. If it's going to go higher from here, it's going to do it without me. All right, from 740 to 580. What about you, Stott? You willing to go for the ride or not? Well, to Yurio's point, when you look at this channel, this uptrend explosion in lumber prices, it's unbelievable. It's trading at the top end of the range here, almost going hyperbolic now. So, yeah, I'm cautionary, too, because when you look at demand out to the end of the year on the commercial side, you know, you talk about housing. Yeah, that's there in the fleeing of people. But on the commercial side, that isn't there. There aren't hotels being built and whatnot. So that could be cautionary. And you look at the term structure, lumber futures going out to May are trading below 600. So to Yurio's point, wait till a significant drop below 600, I think that's the right call because you've got to look out. One thing, this contract, every 10 cents is only 11 bucks, not your normal like 10 bucks or so for normal futures contracts. Pay attention to that as well. Right, good to know. Brian Stutland, Jim Murio, thanks to you both. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Final trades are straight ahead. All right, we're back. Take a look at shares of DraftKings today, down 7%. Its second quarter loss widened. Revenues did rise. Pete, you're long the stock, so what do you do now? Yeah, I just continue to hold on to it, Scott. I think you're going to start to see the betting come up a little bit for these guys. I mean, obviously, with sports, we all know what's going on, and we just heard about the Big Ten and the Big and the Pac-12 and all the rest of it. So that's something that's detrimental to DraftKings, no doubt about it. But I still think they're the premier, and they're in front of everybody else. So I'm going to hold on to the stock. I just sell calls. Implied volatility there, Scott, is higher than people expect it to be because they all talk about the VIX that's gone from 80 to 22. Now you look at the implied volatilities of a stock like this, they're still very, very high. So I can use that to my advantage. Okay. Steph, we talked about some of the retailers reporting next week. NVIDIA is as well. Uh, it's been a big performer. What do you think going into the number? Well, I'm nervous because it's up 96% year to date, right? And it, it does have a very high multiple, but they're in the right end markets. And you hear me say this all the time, total addressable markets. I mean, data center gaming. I mean, I, I think that uh, the only thing that would make me sell this is, is if margins and the mix 
actually puts pressure on margins. But I would be inclined to take some money off of NVIDIA and put it into AMD. It's actually lagged. AMD has lagged NVIDIA year to date. Okay. We have about 90 seconds before we get out of here on this Friday. Rob Seachin, you get the first final trade. What is it and why? XLY, consumer discretionary ETF in front of next week's retail sales and uh, next week's uh, earnings in, in retail sales this morning, which were pretty strong X autos. Oh, so you think the numbers next week are going to be good from the retailers? I do. Got to listen for the outlooks, too. All right, Farmer Jim, I'm sure you got some work to do on the farm this weekend. But first, you have to give us a final trade. Hey, you got it. You know, I've been talking about Viacom CBS for a while now, talking about sports coming back online. But there's some news today that they're going to get bundled in with Apple's TV Plus, their streaming service. That's a big, big win for a company that the sentiment hasn't been positive on, but it's steadily marching higher. I think it's got plenty of room to grow on this news. Okay. What do you like, Pete? Union Pacific are seeing some calls in there, Scott. And I got to tell you, this is a stock that the transports have traded pretty well generally. You look at some of these various names, FedEx and UPS. But I like this name a lot. I think the rails still have some upside. Got a lot of good, uh, economic comeback trades going on here. Stephanie Link, yep. you got one of those too? By the way, I do like Union Pacific, and they took their second price increase today in California. So that's good news for them. VF Corp. It's a recovery name down 35% year-to-date. Strong brands, good controls of inventory. They have $2.8 in cash, so that dividend is safe. I like this stock for All a right. comeback. Good stuff. Great seeing everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.